0: It's a peaceful protest. We're walking, raising awareness. Some of the
1: injustice that we've been seeing is not okay. And as a young person, you got to listen to our perspective. Our voices need to be heard. People are going to look back. Our kids are going
0: to look back at this and say, you were a part of that. I got a grandfather that marched next to Dr. King
2: in the 60s. And he was amazing. He would be proud to see us all here. We got to keep pushing
0: forward. Sports are like the reward of a functional society. Sirius XM Sports
2: presents
1: Forward Progress, a weekly open conversation on race and sports in America. Here are your hosts, Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison.
0: Welcome back to Forward Progress. So I should say welcome in to Forward Progress. I'm Kirk Morrison. No, Jace Jackson, he is not in. He is uh, still on the road with the Miami Heat, they continue to keep winning, so I'm going to let Jacks rest a little bit, but I got my guy, Amino Hassan, NBA Radio, former NBA executive, joining the program to drop some knowledge as well, so I cannot wait to uh, talk to you guys all today. I uh, got a couple nice guests set up for you, Dr. Uh, T. M. Robinson-Mosley, counseling psychologist and sports mental health expert. She's going to join us at the end of the program. Can't wait to talk about Mental Health Awareness Month. That's right. That's where we're in, the month of May. So we'll talk to her. But in just a couple minutes, I can't wait to talk uh, to Pamela Jenkins. She's the head coach of the women's lacrosse team of Delaware State University and if you haven't heard the story, you better buckle up for this one. This is a story that's really starting to gain a lot of national attention as um, they were on a bus ride back from a tournament, a and were wrongfully stopped, I would say, in terms of or wrongfully searched, I should say. I should say on a stop away from heading home to Delaware. So we'll get all into that in just a couple minutes. But first, I mean, I want to uh, dive into just a couple of thoughts that I saw this week. And um, a story in the NFL, uh, Byron Lefwich, he's the current offensive coordinator um, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he has not spoke since the season ended. And he was a guy who was targeted by the jacksonville jaguars he's a former first round pick of the jaguars and a lot of people say had almost tabbed him as the new head coach of the jaguars and yet uh, for some reason things didn't work out and people say well see the the lack of minority coaches in the nfl the jacksonville jaguars didn't hire him and i say, well did the jaguars not hire him or did he not hire the Jacksonville Jaguars? See, that's the big conversation piece that we never talk about. And I bring that up because, as you know, I'm a Warriors fan. I mean, and Mike Brown has been on that staff with Steve Kerr since 2016. Warriors have won multiple championships while he's been, you know, on that uh, sideline with with uh, Steve Kerr. And he recently just took the job with the Sacramento Kings. And so I'm looking at both these guys, right? Leftwich and Mike Brown, I'm saying, Okay, left which probably turned the jaguars down because organizationally and structurally it wasn't there. It wasn't best for your first coaching opportunity, and I understand that. But I look at Mike Brown. I'm saying Mike Brown, man, the Kings ain't been good since since C Web them gone. Mm-hmm. Payton Stoyakovich, like Vadi Divak. So I, I understand it's a job one of thirty, but sometimes I feel like you almost set yourself up for failure with an organization that has shown repeated. I guess, mediocrity.
1: Mediocrity is giving them too much credit. <laughs> <laughs> They're trash. They've been a trash organization. I yeah. work for NBA Radio. I can say that. Very okay, obvious. all right. This has been a trash <laughs> organization, not just because they don't win, but also because the shenanigans that they've had in their front office and, and their ownership levels uh, for years. Now, <clears throat> you you brought up the ultimate Catch-22. Mm. On the one hand, it ain't but so many of these jobs. right? And of those jobs that become available, it ain't but so many that they're willing to hire people of color into, right? So you're already trying to thread a needle through another needle pretty much, right? right. In just having the opportunity for someone to say, here's a job, take it. On the other hand, we know that black coaches – it's been shown statistically are less likely to get leeway w- with their jobs, meaning they're more right. likely to get fired mm-hmm. or less bad circumstances than their white peers, meaning a-, a white coach can go two and 15 and he'll get another chance. Whereas a black coach can go seven and uh, 10 or eight, and nine. And th- that's not good enough. So, there's less leeway there. And then once you're out, it's harder to get back in as a coach of color than it is for a, uh, a a white coach. So all of these forces are kind of pushing and pulling you in opposite directions where on the one hand, man, I'm I'm finally made it where they're offering me a job. On the other hand, as you said, this doesn't look like the type <laughs> of situation where I'm going to walk away looking good. They're looking right. successful because success, as we know, takes a lot of moving parts. It's personnel on the field or on the court. It's the, the staff that you have with you. It's the front office that you're working with. It's ownership. Without all of those things kind of pulling in your favor, it can be very difficult for even the best coaches to get success. I, I often think about Bill Belichick in Cleveland. No, Ain't nobody <laughs> writing books about that, right? Yeah. but but That's he a great got point. some. He got to New England, and he got in a situation with good ownership and uh, good front office around him, and, and, and obviously good, some of the best players ever, and he becomes the greatest coach of all time. But if Bill Belichick were black, mm-hmm. maybe Cleveland is the last opportunity he gets. Yeah, we gave him a chance. He flamed out. He's not a good coach, and that's that.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you sound like sound like Hugh Jackson, right? <laughs> in Cleveland. You know, Hugh Jackson, Blackhead coach, didn't win yeah. enough games. And obviously he's now coaching in college <laughs> in, right. at the HBCU level. Um, just because it is definitely hard to get back. I mean, look, um, and I know we got to get to our interview in just a minute here, but you you've seen it before. Um, guys who take these opportunities, they take these jobs and Really quickly, not saying that they're in over their head, but just the structure, the players. And then with player movement, mobility, I don't want to be here losing franchise. I want my money. I don't want to play. Mm-hmm. How does that all come into play in this?
1: Well, again, I think a strong organization or a well-structured organization can afford to weather that those kind of storms, right? Where guys unhappy, no problem. We'll have people to talk to them. And we have something that they can believe in why should I listen to you well look at our track record dysfunctional organizations can't say that a lot of times they don't even recognize that it's an issue and if, mm-hmm. if they do they don't have the credibility to stand behind it and so if the front office and coaching aren't on the same page players can sense that and then oftentimes now you're it's an uphill battle as a coach so you know, it's a tough situation, but like that's that's the reality. That's why there are good jobs and bad sure. jobs.
0: Hey, it's just like this, man. I'm waiting for the restaurant. Right, There's this brand new restaurant that opened. Mm-hmm. You're just not gonna sit me at any table. You're not gonna right. sit me in the back by the bathroom. Yeah, by the bathroom, <laughs> yeah, I, I, by, the bathroom I, I, by the kitchen. You know what? Uh, you know, I'll just wait over here. I'll wait for the right table because when I do, I want to enjoy it. I want to eat it. I want to I want to do it my way. So uh, that, that's the way I see it. And hopefully more black coaches will get that opportunity to coach in a situation that breeds success, but also structurally has everything going for them in the right way. So I can't wait to see uh, how this all pans out. And Byron Leftwich will be a head coach in the future. But sit back. I want you to listen head coach of the women's lacrosse team of Delaware State, Pamela Jenkins. She's going to join us and discuss the story of her team from April 20th. Coming up next here on Forward Progress.
1: You're listening to Forward Progress on Sirius XM Radio.
0: Our weekly dive into racing sports here on Forward Progress alongside Amino Hassan. I am Kirk Morrison, filling in for our guy, Jason Jackson. Miami Heat continue to keep winning, so yeah, we let Jason Jackson rest those, uh, those, those pipes and get ready for uh, game six coming up. But a story that's been circulating throughout the country, and it's not a story that's brand new. It's been there. But yet we're finally starting to get the details, the details of the Delaware State University women's lacrosse team and their journey from Florida back home to Delaware. But a stop in Georgia that is now really starting to make its rounds and the understanding and sort of the fallout and to help us discuss and talk about this drive back from the state of Georgia or from Florida, I should say. We're joined now by Pamela Jenkins, the head coach of the Delaware State University women's lacrosse team. And uh, uh, coach, (laughs) I would say that um, it's been a whirlwind over the last couple of weeks. And and, uh, let's just sort of start there. Uh, April 20th, um, your team coming back from Florida after a weekend of matches against other uh, universities and programs. And on the drive back, on the bus ride back to Delaware, kind of take us through what happened.
2: Sure. So we left Jacksonville roughly around 9 o'clock that morning. We were on our way back, looking forward to, to being home after being on the road now. This was day six. So we are wow. looking forward to getting back home. Uh, so everything is going smoothly. We're roughly about an hour and a half into our trip. Then we notice our bus driver slowing down and moving over to the shoulder to where he eventually turned, you know, stopped, turned the bus off, and uh, then he opened the door. Uh, Then he opens the door, and then a police officer comes uh, and eventually asks him for his license and registration and tells him that, you know, he was driving uh, in the left lane, and as a bus, that he's not supposed to do that. Uh, Right after that, the bus driver, I'm sorry, the... Police actually come and address us, and they let us know, like, hey, he's not supposed to be driving in the left lane. Uh, we're going to take care of this very quickly. Um, next thing we know, there are do- there's a dog-sniffing narcotics dog out there, and they start pulling our luggage out from underneath the bus, which one of my student-athletes alert us to. They're like, they have a dog out there, and they're pulling our suitcases out wow. from underneath the bus. So we're all looking and confused and wondering what you know what's going on how did it how did it escalate to that and then two police officers come on the bus and they tell us that they're looking for narcotics uh, and the most popular one is marijuana and they say they're not looking for a little bit, although to the chaperones, that would be upsetting, but they're looking for, you know, vape pens, edibles. They said a a weight machine. So I guess anything having to do with (laughs) marijuana. And they said that it's still illegal in the state of Georgia, even though in other places of the country that it's not. And he was saying, we're better off letting them know if we have it now, because if they find it, that they're not gonna be able to help us. So he's about to get off the bus. He asks us if we have any questions. And one of my players asked him, how did this go from a routine traffic stop to dog sniffing narcotics dogs going through our belongings? And his response was on this stretch of highway that charter buses have been known to smuggle narcotics and people. So they have to stay diligent in, you know, making sure that this doesn't happen. He asked us if we have any other questions and he was like, okay, they're going to go on with their search. So they're probably out there a good 10, 10 minutes, 10, 12 minutes. And then they come on the bus with the package, which was a gift. And, um, they asked for the student athlete by her name. It was, uh, it had her number on it, her Jersey number on it. And so they asked for her by name. And, uh, so they asked her like, what's this? And she was like, oh, it was a gift given to me when we played, uh, in Georgia. And he was like, well, do you know what it is? And she was like, no, it was a gift from my aunt. She just told me not to open it until I get back to school. So they basically were like, well, we're going to, you know, it has to be open. They're going to open it." So he exits the bus, I assume he opens it, probably takes another 5 to 10 minutes, then he comes on the bus, and he was just like, you're free to go, have a have a safe trip.
1: Wow. Wow. Coach, there, there's a lot in that story to unpack. Uh, I'm going to start with probably the, the one of the more obvious ones. This happened April 20th. Why do you think it took so long for it to become a national story?
2: Well, when we got back, we got back super late, and I did uh, report it to my uh, supervisors, but I think they were in the process of investigating it when I told them about it, Not to mention it was the end of the semester. So when we got back, our student athletes and everyone is preparing for exams and they pack up their things. So I think with all the end of the year activities, Um, And then the article coming out, I think having the video and everything, I think everything kind of got sped up and it went from trying to investigate how this is all taking place to, oh my goodness, there's a video and it just went, uh, you know, uh, viral on social media.
0: We're speaking with Pamela Jenkins. She is the head coach of the Delaware State University Women's Lacrosse Program in her third year with the program. And, Coach, one of the things is, you know, on this program and just, I think, around the country, people always say what? um, If I was in that situation, I would have done this. If I was in this situation, I would have said this to this officer. People think it's easy to say that. But you were in that situation, Coach. How were you able to keep everyone calm when you knew what was taking place?
2: First off, you're talking about about roughly four to six heavily armed, big white police officers that Mm -hmm. that came on the bus. And their tone was in an accusatory manner. So when they came on the bus, and especially as a coach, I'm thinking I have to protect my student athletes. And although I felt helpless, I felt like the only thing I could do in that moment was to lead by example and stay calm. So I was like, okay, I might not be able to... Talk to them in that moment with everything going on. But hopefully, if I stay calm, they'll stay calm in this moment. And I was also afraid to even say anything because we've seen in the news what's happened where you don't know what could happen, what you can say or do that's going to make that situation go completely wrong and my thing was i didn't want anyone to get hurt
1: coach what was the conversation like after the traffic stopped the bus starts leaving again what was your conversation with your students about what had just happened
2: we were all in shock um you know it had been a long trip and i don't think you ever are prepared for something like that to happen so it was pretty quiet for a good portion of the trip after that. It was still early in the morning. We had just played that night. Uh, we had gotten back to our hotel probably about 1130 that night. So we were exhausted. So I think that on top of everything else, with the just with the shock and the trauma of all of this, it really felt almost like an outer body experience. Like we hear so much about it in the news um, but to actually experience it, we were pretty quiet for, for a while, a lot of people on the phone with their families and friends. Uh, and then as the trip went on, we just started talking again, regular, uh, as we got closer to
0: home. You know, uh, coach, one thing I saw that you also hold the title of diversity and inclusion designee, and I'm sure you've had these discussions about race in America, about going through different types of situations, being a person of color. But with this ordeal that happened, that you went through, your team went through, what has been not only your biggest takeaway, but also what do you hope now to educate the people outside and the women that you were that were you were also involved in this with?
2: Uh, you know, when I think about my role and what I want to do and I just want to say that I'm proud of my team for how they're handling this and I think that's the biggest takeaway that they're using their platform to shine light on this situation and they want to see change. I think all of us are united in the fact that we don't want anyone else to go through that situation and I think that unites us and that gives us the strength that we want to perpetuate as we go through this is what do we have to do so no one has to feel the violation that we did on that day and and I think that's that's the biggest takeaway is when you have an opportunity seizing it and using your voice for good to bring about change whether it's small or
1: big. How are the students coping with it now in the aftermath of what happened to them? It's funny I was talking earlier that you know we're, we're all black here right now and we've all we everyone i know who's black has an experience with the police mm-hmm. in one sh- shape or another what where and when that is unwarranted and goes above and beyond um but i think about myself as a father my kids haven't been through that yet They're, my kids are so young they haven't been through that and so when i heard when i read about your story you know i my mind immediately went to well, how are the kids coping with this? I know Coach Jenkins, it's not easy, but as adults kind of we've been through it and we, it's almost par for the course. But I'm thinking about the younger, the younger ones who maybe this was their first kind of uh, experience like this. So how do they cope with this in the weeks since then? Good question. Um, I, I guess the blessing right now is
2: this is really taken off when they're home and surrounded by their family. So as I've been talking to them, a lot of them have expressed how people from near and far have reached out to show their support and just how appreciative they are of that support and how that has helped them to cope um, has meant a lot. Uh, We're still close and and we still communicate, but I'm grateful that this is coming out at a time where they're in their comfort zones. They're at home surrounded by people who who love them and can give them the support that they need. And we're also part of a great institution who's offering their services as well. So it's almost like they're getting the best of both worlds where they're surrounded by their family, but they still have their DSU family that's there from afar to support them. So I'm amazed by their strength. I mean, they're they're funneling this in a way that they are just focused on change right now, and just articulating and representing themselves, their family, and the institution in the best possible light.
0: Head coach of the Delaware State University women's lacrosse team, Pamela Jenkins, joining for progress. Kirk Morrison, Amin El Hassan, and the one thing that I've been looking for, I've been trying to find it, coach, is. A further explanation, but more importantly, an apology. I have not seen neither. Um, what, what am, yeah, what am I missing
1: here?
0: Yeah, What am I missing here, coach? Because even to your point, we all feel that that was a, um, an investigation or a, a situation of which I felt like rights were violated, but there was still no probable cause. And at the end of the day, there was a wrong that was here but yet there was still no further explanation or, you know what, we apologized. We thought we saw something or we heard something. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around that. Has there been any sort of apology that's been sent your way?
2: There has not. I have not received one, um, which I think makes the situation that we're in right now even harder.
1: Mm. It's unbelievable. Like I said, the the news story, one of the news stories said, Sheriff William Bowman of Liberty County held up press conference on Tuesday, he addressed the incident, he explained uh, pretty much what Coach said, and then he says, as, he, as they said, the stop of DSU's bus was not racially motivated based on the information he has available to him. I wish I knew what that meant. I love when they, <laughs> they bring up information available to them, but they're not gonna share that. I think one of the, the most startling thing about it was this wasn't a charter bus of people coming from a bachelorette party, or right. a charter bus of people that went to some convention. This was a U- division one university uh, varsity team. So the idea that, oh, and also the child traffic on the side is just, it, it's beyond me. And it's so insulting that they would you know kind of just pretend that there's a probable cause when clearly it's not. Uh, Coach Jenkins, where do you go from here? right? You, you're talking to us, uh, you you, guys are getting the story out there, but where where do you go from here as a program and you yourself as a coach uh, to kind of make the most of the situation and, and move past it?
2: You know, we're fortunate to be a part of a great institution with a great leader, and Dr. Allen's doing an amazing job. So, we're, we're letting him lead the charge. I know that they're in the process of investigating, and we are taking his lead on that. So, you know, as as a program, as a team, we're just trying to still stay connected and support one each, each other and speak our truth and, and just, you know, just tell the facts as it happened to us. And we're letting the university go forth with their investigation. And we're letting Dr. Allen and uh, the institution take it from there.
0: Just a couple more minutes with Coach Pamela Jenkins. Before we let you go, I, I know that the one thing that when you read it, you read it and you have to envision it, Right. You know, hey, Delaware State University women's lacrosse team pulled over. They say, hey, motivated, possibly racial bias police. They've had, you know, uh, you know, police dogs and things like that. And when you're reading it, you kind of envision it. But then all of a sudden, I see that video, and I hear those tones that you mentioned, and then you see the pictures and the captions, and you say, oh no, this was real, and you can kind of sense it. And the way that you mentioned the officer spoke. That video is now being circulated more and more. I know you've probably had to see it again and again. What does that now bring up? And what does that now do for the women who have to see that and are reminded of that situation on April
2: 20th? It's dramatic reliving that and and seeing that video and what we went through. Um, And I know as a coach, I'm thinking long-term and the aftermath of this, not, you know, on their mental health and the possibility of anxiety. You know, as as a Division One program, charter buses are our number one mode of transportation. I don't want them having anxiety having to get on the bus again. Mm. And that's that's a real life fear that they might have, that they might now in the moment be in home that, okay, I'm processing them and I'm okay. I don't know when it's going to be like when we have to take our first road trip and they have to board the bus. You know, it, it, are they are they going to be like, no, coach, I can't do it? You know, is, is it going to be a number of them? There were 25 young ladies on that bus. I, like, I, So I think that's, that's the fear, is you don't know how long the effects are going to last and how each person is going to deal with it. And all that we can do is just be there to support them um, and hope that if that does happen, that we just have the support and that we can help them through it.
0: I'll tell you this, you have uh two brand new fans here for sure. Uh the Lady Hornets of Delaware State University. Uh I want it to be all about the the you know the incident and, and the bus being pulled over, but let everybody know how you finished up on the season. How, how was the final couple of days of the season? how the ladies do? Um so it was
2: rough, you know. Being in Florida, we're not used to that heat. It was it was yeah. definitely rough. And I'll tell you what, we were exhausted on yeah. that bus ride home. So <laughs> It was tough. But, you know, we're young. Our future is bright. Yeah. Uh, Most of those young ladies on that bus, you're talking about freshman and sophomore years, you know, on that bus. So uh, I'm proud of them. I'm proud of our future. Uh We have 11 young ladies coming in to help add to our program. And I'm just excited for the future and direction of where we're going.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Coach Pamela Jenkins. Head coach of the women's lacrosse team at Delaware State University. Thank you for sharing your story. We appreciate your candid words and uh, best of luck in next season and also to continued success. And we'll see how this thing still plays out. And we hope all for the best for you. Thank you, coach. Appreciate it.
2: Thanks, Thanks for having me. Take Thanks, care.
0: Coach. That was Coach Pamela Jenkins, head coach, Delaware State University. Well, it is May, right? The month of May, Mental Health Awareness Month. And to help us talk about mental health awareness, Dr. T.M. Robinson-Mosley. She's going to join us next, a counseling psychologist and sports mental health expert. We'll dive into more on the month of May, Mental Health Awareness, coming up next year on Forward Progress. You're listening to
1: SiriusXM XM Radio. Radio. We now return to forward progress. Here's Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison.
0: Yeah, as I just mentioned, it's the month of May, which is me- in Mental Health Awareness Month. And to help us dive into some of the, uh, the initiatives that are going on, but just the thoughts of mental health awareness, Dr. T.M. Robinson Mosley, counseling psych- psychologist and sports mental health expert for the Mosley and Associates Consulting. Ooh, that was a lot, but I had to get it out there. A woman who holds many, many titles. And look, when the month of May does come around, we hear people talk about, oh, it's Mental Health Awareness Month. But to you, what does the month of May mean and the initiatives that are being talked about and pushed that people really aren't aware of?
3: Yeah. I. I would like for every month to be uh, mental health awareness because you're seeing so much of an impact. But when I think about May, it's such a unique opportunity to talk about the really unique nexus of mental health, wellness and peak performance, particularly in sport. Um, And being able to talk about that in really nuanced, culturally responsive way, because what happens on the field or on the court is really impacted by what's happening off of it. And we don't talk about that enough. And we don't talk about widening this aperture of what it means to be at peak performance. You don't get to peak performance. You don't get to do your absolute best if you are not taking care of yourself. So any opportunity to talk about that is something that I'm really excited about.
1: Yeah, uh, Doc, we, earlier in the program, we talked to Coach uh, Pamela Jenkins of the Delaware State Lacrosse women's lacrosse team. and they they were involved in an incident where they're on a bus they're traveling back from a tournament and they were pulled over by sheriffs in georgia for the bus being in the wrong lane which then led to a search of the bus and the bags uh using uh drug sniffing dogs and some language that kirk and i agree was just very kind of accusatory by the sheriffs We, we actually watched a video of the incident um and I, I was asking the coach, how are the kids dealing with it? Because this is not kind of a your run-of-the-mill incident, particularly on official school business. What, you know, what what can uh, people do to offer support to athletes who are going through these things, as you said, that are outside of the field of play, but clearly impact them throughout their lives? Uh,
3: that's a great question. That's horrible. Um, uh, I, I hate that that happened, and unfortunately, i uh, hear so much of incidents uh, like that happening. And what I will say is, uh, I would say three things. I like things in threes. Um, The first immediate thing is being able to listen and listen in a way and recognizing that you are open enough to listening, to talking and hearing about their experiences, Um, giving them a safe place to land, Um, being able to talk to coaches and administrators and the many folks, uh, athletic trainers, folks who support these uh, really dynamic athletes, the thing we can do the most is uh, create an environment for them to feel safe and comfortable and part of the team, because that's what we talk about at sport, right? Um, The second thing I would say is being able to recognize kind of some warning signs of distress. This is going to impact a lot of your athletes very differently. Some folks are going to have it roll off their backs and be like whatever and move on. For some of them, it could potentially be really debilitating. So a lot of the work that we do is, yes, we want to make sure we're supporting these athletes um, and these uh, folks in sport, but also how do we equip the coaches and uh, the people who intersect with them the most with recognizing when something's wrong? Um, and so how do we make sure that they are able to identify what's wrong? And so that's a large part of our, our work and elite collegiate and professional sport. Uh, And the third thing is getting them connected to some resources. So whether that is picking up the phone and calling someone, walking them somewhere, saying, you know what, I don't know, I can't help you, but I know someone who can. Um, Those things are important. And being able to give those resources uh, in a timely manner after you've made that um, kind of observation that something may not be quite right uh, with that uh, athlete.
0: You know, doctor, one of the things that I know from my my sports background and playing professional sports, a a lot of times people handle mental health differently, right? And I say, when I say they handle it differently, some handle it internally, some handle it outwardly, some handle it through therapy, friends, family, for you, the, the signs of mental health for some who say, I'm fine, I'm good. Where do you, where do you start at? And sometimes it's not necessarily severe, but even the small things. So, how are some of the early signs for to for people to start and feel like, hey, you know what, I, I need to, you know, attend to this.
3: That's that's such a great question, um, and one that we're you know getting quite a bit. And I. Uh, would say um, looking at the signs. So if we are engaging together, and you know someone is typically a boisterous person, they love right. doing certain activities, um, they're usually someone who likes engaging with folks, but then you notice over time, over a period of time, they're isolated, um, talking a lot of, about feeling helpless or hopeless, um, they're not doing the things they typically would do. So you're seeing a shift or a change in behavior. Sometimes that could be normative, right? Like we all have our highs and our lows and mental health is a continuum. So some days we're going to feel great. Some days we're going to feel like trash. Um, mm-hmm. Some days we're uh, you know going to do our best and some days that we're not. And that's going to ebb and flow. But the difference is being able to think about it in terms of an acronym that we use um, which in sport or in exercise is like the FIT uh, acronym, which is frequency, intensity. Y'all familiar with this? Frequency, frequency intensity, timing uh, type of exercise. We cut off type of exercise and think about frequency. How frequent are these feelings that you're having where you're not feeling great? How intense are they? Are they interfering with your day or you Having a hard time making it through work or concentrating or showing up on the field. Are we seeing some injuries in different places? And then the timing. How long has this been happening? So it's one thing to have a bad day and people think like, oh, I feel bad and that's depression. No, I'm talking about having like the worst day that you can have and experiencing and feeling that way for two weeks to a month or even longer. So those things are really important that we want to pay attention to in terms of having some of these early
1: warning signs and red flags. Doctor, I'm curious, you know, when we talk about mental health, particularly in sports, it feels like it's a mixed bag. On the one hand, you see the incredible outpouring of support for people like DeMar DeRozan uh, and Kevin Love, who have been very kind of upfront with their struggles and what they've been through. Uh, And really kind of, it makes me kind of, be surprised at the humanity that still exists out there, that people are listening and taking it to heart and indeed being inspired by it. And then we see Ben Simmons and when he- I knew Ben Simmons was something. Saying, <laughs> I knew he was trouble. Yeah. <laughs> all of that goodwill and humanity goes out the window and mm-hmm. everyone's got a hot take. And back in my day, guys wanted to play and all that stuff. So I'm curious from your standpoint, where do you see the conversation nationally and why do you think we can get two widely different reactions to kind of a a, a similar uh, a situation?
3: Well, you know, first uh, I knew this was coming, uh, but <laughs> also, you know, I'm I'm so proud that so many of these conversations. I, I really want to be clear about this are being propelled and pushed forward by Black and Brown athletes, right? Who are taking a risk and being vulnerable in a really public way about a really private experience, and I'm, I'm so proud that they are leading the charge and creating a, a path and creating opportunities for people to do the same. Now, what I will say is this is a very nuanced discussion, and when I'm talking with coaches and, and ADs and organizations, I like to be really clear. When we're talking about mental health and people taking care of themselves, That does not mean we can't execute at the highest level and have high expectations for our teams. And it also doesn't mean that we don't hold them accountable. So all of these things can be true and we can hold them at the same time. So we can have these conversations that sometimes can get and feel like they're reduced to, well, if they say mental health, then they're off limits and we can't do anything else. Oh, no, not at all. It just means the way and the approach that we do something with them and how we hold them accountable and those expectations may shift and change as they should, right? Right. With any injury or, or illness, or if we're not feeling our best, we have to attend to that. But it certainly doesn't mean that those expectations and accountability go out the window because if you show up badly or poorly, if you are not feeling your best, that's terrible that you feel awful and you can't harm people and impact your team at the same time, right? So there are multiple ways that we look to address that, and we can hold all those things at the same time.
0: She's Dr. T.M. Robinson-Mosley, counseling psychologist and sport mental health expert. For guys such as myself, other people, they like to work off a routine. A lot of times we want to look at a manual, because sometimes if I don't know, let me go look at this manual. And I know that you have the Sports Mental Health and Wellness Playbook. Tell me about the Sports Mental Health and Wellness Playbook, and When you subscribe and when you also are are looking at this playbook, how can it help you through the steps of daily life?
3: Yeah, I I love that question. And a lot of this came from the frustration of working individually for the past 15 years with teams and organizations and athletes and silos. And I talk about giving people a safe place to land, but I was like, what if we could work to create environments that are conducive to giving folks safe passage? How do we equip um, leaders and organizations to build winning teams and cultures across their diverse groups of stakeholders. I mean, that's our that's our mission. And the playbook is um, designed specifically for high-intensity, high-performing organizations and their leaders. And we've worked with, man, some of the best folks in the business, uh, 40 organizations across elite athletics um, in terms of college. I like to say rookie to retiree, peewee to pro. Um, <laughs> and um, not only in professional sports, but in the the tech space, nonprofit and government and higher ed, and we view the playbook as a a full service program. We are a one-stop shop. Um, We develop really inclusive, um, empathic leaders and empower those leaders with tools, and as you mentioned, a manual, um, but a (laughs) game plan on how to foster a culture that's conducive to high-performing teams, and they are tailored to specific organizations. So we are really clear about that. And at the same time, we recognize there are concerns around diversity, equity, and inclusion, and a large part of our work is around building belonging on teams. So we make sure that we're able to provide a dynamic um, group of mental health providers and clinicians who are also uh, reflective of the people that they're working.
1: Dr obviously sports is a very high profile field right we watch the games on tv we know we can see people fail real time before our eyes but it is hardly the only high pressure field out there i'm curious as far as for you to compare and contrast the resistance maybe to some of the things that, that you're educating about from sports or tech or finance where the where are the industries you found the most resistance to your teachings?
3: Well, resistance um, can come in different forms. And I will, you know, I'm a positive psychologist, y'all. So I will refrain <laughs> from resistance. But it just means people are champions of something else, right? You're right. a champion of a different cause. Um, and with that, um, the resistance, I will say, has a, a difference in timing because pre-COVID, we, we got more pushback. Um, teams saying we don't have the resources, we don't have the time, they just need to get out there and, and, and do their best. That's not our work. People do that on their own time. But since COVID, oh man, there has been a just a diametrical kind of seismic shift in terms of organizations and teams um, really needing um, ways to give people an opportunity to get some resources to take care of themselves. Because We cannot separate our our professional lives um, and our our personal lives as we did before. And we collectively have kind of experienced really incalculable uh, grief and loss. And so we are all trying to find ways to do that while at the same time trying to get the best out of people, whether they're in an office or on the field or in a classroom, we're having to really think about these things in ways that we never imagined.
0: You know, one thing that right now is taking place, um, you know, in our country is the NBA playoffs, Stanley Cup playoffs. And people look at it as entertainment, but yet for the athletes on there, a lot of guys' legacies are shaped. Um, Their performance is ridiculed, criticized. And so I think even one, Ryan Tannehill, who was in the NFL playoffs uh, a year ago with the Tennessee Titans, um, said he had to take some time. He went through some mental health um, you know, struggles because of the way that he played and his performance in a game that his team lost and they were expected to win. We're seeing that also, too. I saw Kyrie Irving sort of had a, a spat out uh, online playing video games as fans are still heckling him, saying, shouldn't you be in Cancun and not uh, playing video games, things like that? So when you think about just the heightened sense of awareness that the players must have – In the playoffs, where it's a win and go home, and it kind of your season is riding. How do you uh, sort of keep contact, or is there cues, or how much do you want to jump in right when a season may be over to start to have some of these conversations that doesn't allow that to linger into an off season or throughout a career?
3: Yeah, you know what's really interesting about what you're saying. um, Often we'll think about seasons ending and whether it it's on a negative end, right? And right. people have really a hard time. What's interesting is that when seasons go well and it ends well, it also still is a hard time. The off-season can be really wow. challenging for athletes. Um, this is not a technical term, but I often call it with, with some of my, my uh, athletes like the postseason sads, um, where oh, yeah. it's like you spend so much energy and effort Throughout many, many, you know, throughout the year, getting prepared uh, for elite competition, and once it's over, it's almost like you fall off a cliff. Like there often isn't a lot of transition after that. So, uh, in our business, we work a lot to prepare them to transition. What are you going to do afterwards? We focus on what you can control in the moment, right? Because that's all that you've got. But once we get beyond that, how do you take care of yourself afterwards? So, how do we get a game plan for you to transition into the off season or? the permanent off season guys <laughs> um, <laughs> when the game is over because sometimes you quit the game and sometimes the game quits you and there's no real indication of when that's going to happen. So we have to do a lot of work around what does that look like for you as we are equipping you to make it through this really high stakes period. But then what do you do afterwards? Because you are so much more than what we see on the screen.
1: Doctor, how big of a role does the the uh, ubiquity of social media play mm. in, <laughs> in all of our mental health.
3: And y'all can call me uh, Dr. Mosley or just mostly like for or Beyonce. <laughs> um, uh, social media plays a huge role and it's not just when we think about athletes, just in general, social media has created, I think some amazing opportunities for us to connect, but it also has created a lot of silos. It's created a lot of negative consequences Um, where people are not sleeping, um, they're more critical. We're seeing a lot more issues around depression and anxiety um, connected to uh, a lot of use around social media because there's this larger comparison group that you otherwise wouldn't have access to, but they have access to you. And there's a lot of surveillance that happens there. And then at the same time, the internet is where things go to never die. So people Mm -hmm. can pull up that clip and watch it over and over and over again, right? And athletes are doing that as well. No one is more invested in their performance than they are. And so social media... Though, yes, it is cool to be able to know that you can tweet people or uh, they're not saying tweet anymore, they're not tweeting, uh, but you can, you know, IG or or be on TikTok and see some of your favorite folks. But the consequences of that on the athletes um, are uh, tremendous. There's a tremendous amount of pressure there. And people don't think about it this way, but even though these folks uh, are like superheroes in some ways, extremely human, and they are a unique subset Uh, of our population and that additional pressure um, Mm -hmm. creates kind of an environment that makes them more vulnerable than most people so it's not surprising when we start seeing and hearing a lot about mental health at the highest levels um, because they are experiencing something that is so unique and so much more pressurized than public.
0: The Sports Mental Health and Wellness Playbook to discuss a customized action plan for your organization, contact Dr. T.M. Robinson Mosley for a consultation me. at the B-E-N-C-H, at Mosley consulting.com Hey, Doc, we appreciate the time, uh, all the knowledge that you've dropped on us. Can't wait to visit with you soon. And, yeah, there is no off-season for me and Amin, by the way. We, we don't have an off-season. We keep on going, but definitely we want to have you continue to come join our program as well. Thank, Thank you, Doc. You.
3: Love that. And uh, thank y'all so much for having this platform. It's so necessary and uh, it's just amazing. So thank y'all so much
0: for having me. All right, Dr. You. Mosley. Thank you. That was Dr. T.M. Robinson Mosley, counseling psychologist and sports mental health expert. Uh, thank you for joining the program, doctor. Man, special thanks again to women's lacrosse coach at Delaware State University, Pamela Jenkins. For El Hassan, I'm Kirk Morrison. We'll see you next time right here on forward progress.